We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hey friends, and welcome back to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 153. Our guest today knows so much about the art of dressage, liberty, groundwork, and horsemanship. She also competed in the 2017 Kentucky Extreme Mustang Makeover, and by one point off the lead, she finished second place, which is an absolutely incredible feat. And the story of her and her Mustang and that relationship is so inspiring. I'm so excited because she's currently writing a book all about it, but I just thought her experience with the all encompassing art of being an equestrian and understanding your horse in so many different areas of the sport, I think is just so important and not talked about enough. So I would love to welcome our guest today, Ariana Sakaris. Well, walk me through how you first got into the equestrian industry. So when I was little, between the ages of five and 11, I actually lived over in Greece. That's where my family was at the time. And my mom at the time was leasing a horse out at a farm outside of Athens. And so my, my first exposure to horses was going with her to the barn and being around them, walking around the stables, and eventually getting the opportunity to be led around um, on some of the horses there and and be led out on the trails on some of the horses there. And so my exposure was, was mainly started back at that point. And I remember that I was always fascinated by the different personalities of horses, the way they look different and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And it was really when I got up in the saddle and I got to canter for the first time that I was absolutely hooked for the rest of my life. Yeah. And I just the excitement and the joy and the adrenaline of it. I just felt this power and this joy that I hadn't felt in anything else. And I think once I knew that that was possible with a horse, I was then interested in the entire journey that would allow me to continue to be around them. So I think that was the the starting place of where it was born, but it definitely was strong enough that I followed it continuously for the rest of my life. So uh, cool. And you know, became more passionate, more dedicated, more serious about learning. But that initial exposure was, yeah, from my mom in Greece in the uh, outskirts of Athens. Wow. Oh, that's so cool. And totally side note, I I try to go on like a international trip a year. Obviously this past year and a half has been different, but I went to Greece two, I, w- I think two or three years ago, and it has been my favorite place that I've <laughs> ever traveled to. I loved it. Yeah, it's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. The food is good. Mm -hmm. I mean, the islands, everything is beautiful there. The sun, uh, you know, Mediterranean weather. Totally. It's gorgeous. Yeah. And so we left when I was about 11 and I've only been back about, yeah, one or two other times since then. So once you moved, where did you head to? And then what did your riding kind of look like at that point? So at that point, we came back to uh, the U.S. and moved to Maryland. And 
I started uh, going to a local riding school in the area where there were a lot of rescue horses. And so I really got to bond because it was really hard to make the transition from being in another country. I was in an English school, so I actually had an English accent as a little kid. Mm-hmm. And then I come back to the US and I sound different than everybody else, you know, and I'm adjusting to the culture change and everything. And so I really found that when I walked into the doors of this local riding school, that I was able to bond with the other girls and students in that program. And I was able to like form friendships with them and then also be able to have access to what I loved the most, most, which was the horses. And so at that facility, we got a chance to work with such a variety of, of horses and ponies. I started to learn the, the importance of how every, every horse, every pony is an individual and we have to get to know them as individuals and understand uh, their needs and how we have to adapt to them to best help them. We did a lot of bareback riding. I don't know if that's because she wanted us to grow our seat and learn our balance, but also uh, I think it was easier to have a bunch of kids not have to tack up and check all their tack and things like that. So uh, we did a lot of bareback riding, a lot of games and things like that. And eventually what happened was I went on, I remember the day I had been there for a couple of years. And I remember the day that I really wanted to learn more. And I knew that in order to do that, I had to grow or venture outside of the local riding school arena walls, basically. And so at the end of every lesson, we would hand walk our horses around the rail of the arena and and cool them down. That was the protocol of what we did. And And our instructor would stand in the middle of the arena and just watch us. And I remember one of the lessons at the end, I was hand walking out my horse and I just turned and walked my horse right up to her. And I said, I absolutely love it here. And I'm so grateful, but I would love if you could help me find a way to increase my learning, increase my education. And I pushed myself a little bit more. And so is there anybody that you think I could go to, to start to learn more as a rider? And I was so nervous. I was like shaking because I didn't want to see the look of disappointment in her face. I I loved where I was, but I knew that there was more out there and I wanted to go attack that, you know? And she said, of course, uh, I will absolutely help you. And I just was, I felt so empowered in that moment because as a shy little introverted girl, I was, I was basically giving a voice to my passion and, and taking that vulnerable step to try to, to find the next stepping stone of my journey. And so that led me on to work for many years or to train for many years with a dressage and a jumping trainer. And he actually, I believe, coached the show jumping Olympic team, a Russian team at one point. And so he was a very rigorous trainer, a very passionate trainer, very dedicated. And he pushed me a whole lot more than what I was getting at that local riding school. And I think at that point I was in the space of really learning how to ride better, learning how to apply myself to being a student, to taking the ups and downs of learning when you think you're not making any progress to then you, then you are making progress and, you know, a couple steps forward, a couple steps back. And so I rode with him for quite a while, many years. And, and again, at one point I felt the need to continue on and learn more. And I ventured off from that point on, but that was the initial kind of growth from coming back to Greece, the local riding school, and then moving on to that trainer. His name was Alex Cherba, moving on with him before then I actually took the steps to go off into France. 
What then did you do in France? How did that opportunity to kind of present itself? So when I was riding uh, with my trainer in Maryland and and working, we were working heavily on dressage and jumping actually, but there was a point where I was doing so much riding and I started thinking, you know, when I get off my horse at the end of the ride and I take the bridle and saddle off, does my horse really want to be with me? Hmm. Is that, is that connection still there the one that I can cultivate off their back because I'm on them you know and I've got the reins I've got my saddle when I get off do they still want to be with me and it almost haunted me a little bit that Mm -hmm. question because I didn't really know like I had never had a horse follow me loose and jog with me loose and experience that type of connection when no ropes are attached and Mm -hmm. I, I was starting to become fascinated with the possibility of that happening. And so I I thought, well, let me go overseas. I had heard about a different Liberty trainers and I also wanted to pursue classical dressage and and learn more in that category. Mm-hmm. So I found a way to go to France and the way that I found to go was to teach English in the public schools there, in the public elementary schools. Okay. And like a couple days a week. And then I had the rest of the week off to travel to different trainers, to go to expos, clinics and things like that. So that's how I got over there. But that question that I started asking myself started kind of looming over my head. And what I really want is the success of knowing that I did good by the horse. Mm-hmm. And that's the net, that's what I wanted to figure out. How do I know that I'm doing right by them? How do I know that I'm communicating in a way that makes them feel happy and confident and good? And so, I changed. That's what I was in pursuit of at the point of going to France. And when I was over there, I got to learn from uh, a very accomplished Liberty trainer and classical dressage trainers. And I, and I added that perspective into my learning as a student of always poking and prodding the mental side of the horse. Mm-hmm. And, um, it was very, very interesting that once I started seeing things from that angle, the technique of what we do up on their back or the technique of what we do on the ground started to make sense. And it also started to make sense of how that technique can be shifted and adapted and molded and shaped to best work with that particular horse's mind and emotions. So, and then that's in France is where I grew this incredible passion for Liberty work because I was seeing people do that very thing. I was Mm -hmm. seeing people with horses that were loose, that were, that were circling around them, following them, calling them to them completely loose. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is the, this is like the, the deepest and truest connection that I would love to have with the horse. In addition to being able to ride them And so I just had this spark just light up in me and I was so dedicated to asking questions. I went to Jean-Francois Pignon, his clinic in France. I went to his clinic in Belgium and Quebec as well and just tried to soak up as much as I could from him. And I always have had the perspective, if I see somebody doing something really amazing with horses, I'll always go ask them if they can uh, teach me anything, even if it's an exchange or if it's even just simply me being able to watch them work. But I always thought, what's the harm in asking? And so mm-hmm. that's kind of how I got my foot in the door to learn from some of these uh, really amazing people. I just, I really, really wanted it. And I wanted them to know that I wanted it really bad and that I would be willing to to watch anything or do anything to learn the skills that they had acquired with the horses. So yeah, the Liberty work and the classical dressage there was very important before I came back to the U.S. 
Amazing. Yeah. Tell me a little bit, because obviously you have a lot of experience with dressage and liberty work, groundwork, horsemanship in general. What would you say, if you had to define it, would make someone successful as an equestrian? Oh, that's a good question. Well, I first think that being a successful equestrian is something that it is not really like a final destination because Mm -hmm. even the more we learn, and I feel like a lifetime student of the horse, it's never going to end. The, The part of being successful is being open to changing and being open to when you get new information, when you get new techniques, when you get new tools, when you get new insight, even new perspectives, that you filter that into the roadmap that you have of what you've created and how you work with the horses. So I think what defines the most successful equestrian is the ability to change their approach and to modify it with new knowledge as it comes along the journey, because the reality is it will keep coming. I learn new things every day. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whenever I go learn from another trainer, another clinician, or learning even from my students as we work together with their horses, you take just a little piece and then you apply it in to do the best work you can for all the other horses that it can benefit. And so beyond the concept of adapting ourselves and growing our system and our approach and our process, I think also very much considering the mental side of our training and our work with our horses is so vital because sometimes, you know, we can get locked into looking at the physical results because it's what's right in front of our eyes. But I I think it's very important to feel the energy from your horse, to notice their emotions, to learn how to read them, to learn how to uh, read your horse's mental state and then find the tools and techniques and exercises to balance that and to improve that so that the physical of what we're seeing can get better and more more real and true, like a real bond and connection and partnership. So I think that to me, considering and, and putting in the mental aspect is so important and tied into that is the emotional and, and energetic aspect as well. But always being open to, yeah, once you get something new, you kind of always step back and say, wait a minute, you know, all these horses that displayed this before, now I know a new way to approach it. So I think that, yeah, never getting set in your ways and always being a student, no matter how successful you are, we're all, we're all still sitting in the chair of, of being a student. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's, the, that's one of the best parts of this is I get to always learn, you know, yeah, always absolutely. getting to learn. Definitely. I don't know about you, but I think I spend more time focusing on my animal's nutrition than my own. Since 1985, with roots dating back to 1842, Mana Pro has been committed to providing high-quality, nutritionally wholesome feeds, supplements, and treats for your animals. As a company comprised of animal lovers just like us, Mana Pro understands the desire to provide your animals with the very best. Their passion is happy, healthy pets, and they are the trust partner in providing just that. If you haven't checked out ManaPro before, make sure you do. Their website is manapro.com, M-A-N-N-A-P-R-O.com. I get all of my treats there. My horses absolutely love them, but they have 
other stuff for other animals, not just for horses. So make sure you go check them out. They are absolutely incredible. So thank you so much, Mana Pro. All right, let's get back to the episode. What are some things that you do or some tools that you could share with us that riders and, and, and those listening could use on their animals to get more of a, a mental connection or a mental understanding of what their, what their horse is going through and, you know, his or her overall attitude? Yeah. So what I like to think about is that there's a couple things that I work with on the mental side. And one of them is the horse's focus. Where's their focus flowing? Hmm. And quite often, whether I'm on the ground or up on their back, I'll look at their ears. It's an indication of where their focus is. Are they pricked forward looking at something outside the arena? Or are they in their resting position, plugged in, listening with me? And so cultivating focus is important because we want the horse to know that we're not going to punish them for for not paying attention to us, but that we're going to invite them to come back to us. And if they do focus on us, that we will relax and offer them a very good feeling when they do. So I think that's important that we understand that that we can't force focus, but we can invite it. And we can invite it by, for example, if I'm riding, I can ask my horse to maybe turn and go a new direction or turn uh, a little bit more in, let's say I'm on a circle, I can make a smaller circle. And the moment I ask for a smaller circle, does my horse say, oh, okay, I hear you. I'm going to come in with you and, and go on a smaller diameter. And at that point, if the horse says, I'll listen to you, I'll consider what you have to say before you even get to the next maneuver of what you're doing in that moment that those ears click onto you, you have to reward that right there. And so it's, it's not about rewarding the physical. It's like even just the ears turning onto you Mm -hmm. and the horse saying, I'm open to hearing what you have to say right there. I might throw in a reward, whether it be me giving a release through my body or whether it be through me saying good boy or good girl through a vocal tone or vocal cue, even that has to be rewarded. Then I continue on and, and, and execute the next thing I need to do but I always am looking to invite focus and reward focus on the ground as well. I might ask my horse to just turn their head towards me and follow me a new direction Mm -hmm. to invite them to give them somewhere else to put their focus on instead of outside. And the more we do that and the more we show the horse that when they do uh, focus on us, that it's very pleasant, the more open they're going to be to considering doing that. So the focus is one thing. And then the other thing is teaching them to have actual coping skills of what to do when they feel stressed. So I do a lot of exercises where I might like be walking next to my horse and move my hand up and down. Sometimes some horses that'll really scare them. Mm -hmm. Um, And so doing something like that, and then I go in and rub my hand on their neck and reassure them, showing them that when a stimulus happens, the worst thing that's going to happen to them is that I'll rub my hand on their neck so Mm -hmm. that that they don't basically not confirming their fear that their safety is in jeopardy. All that build, all of that builds their confidence and it builds their ability to make an internal change from their stress system into relaxation. So building their ability to make that switch, that that switch is very important and I think very necessary for the horse to be able to 
go into an environment and function and be able to stay connected and focused with their rider. So just that simple exercise of moving my hand up and down, like I'll walk my horse next to me and just move my hand and then see if they, they might flinch, they might raise their head a bit. And then I walk in and rub my hand on their neck. And I do that until I get no response from them until they're okay and accustomed to that. And then I grow and I do other things. Like I might use uh, a jumping movement of my body. I might use a little bit of motion from a tool, like a little whip or something, but it's only to present a stimulus and then behind that stimulus to reassure the horse and show the horse that they're okay when that happens and to help the horse learn that they can relax while a stimulus or a stressor is actually present. Mm. So kind of that kind of coping, developing that coping skill in a controlled way where you dose it and you do, and you are the one that gives the, the reward and mm-hmm. stops it is very helpful. So those two aspects I think are, are very important. And I work heavily on with each horse, obviously each one a little bit differently, but sure. I'm looking, I'm looking at those in each horse I work with. Can you remember a challenge or something that kind of sticks out in your mind of a horse with maybe a, a problem area or a fear or an insecurity or a weakness that you have to have, you know, you had to work through or find different unique ways to get past that? I know that you are in the process of writing a book about your Mustang. Like, how was that process like for you? Yeah, I would just love to hear your thoughts on that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I am writing a book on my Mustang because she is by far the biggest challenge that I've ever experienced. And, you know, it's, it's really hard when, you know, you're a professional and you're working with horses and you've worked with many horses and then you get this wild horse who's 14 too, and you, you struggle, you hit a spot where, you know, her reactions were so raw and so fast. Mm -hmm. I hadn't seen or experienced that to this point. I mean, even with the warm bloods I was working with, it wasn't like that. Mm. And so, and, and the thing with her is that she was so introverted, so introverted that I would have to look and notice the crinkling of her skin underneath her eyeball to know that she was starting to tell me that she wasn't okay with what I was doing. And so at the, at up until this point, I hadn't had a horse that was that introverted. And so I missed a lot of the little initial signs that she was telling me. And I also missed reading the fact that that was her, that she was an introverted horse and that she was bottling up her emotions, storing them inside of her, and then they would blow up and explode um, because, you know, the bottle just popped. Mm-hmm. And so for her, you know, I went from a confident rider, you know, I would ride, even if I was nervous, you know, we all experience sometimes moments of, of a little bit of nerves or a little bit of fear. And we learn how to, you know, move through them and continue on. And up until this point, I hadn't really experienced that fear to a level where I didn't really feel comfortable or want to get on a horse. And it was really interesting because, you know, my first fall when I was maybe like six years old, that fear, that fear kind of crippled me for like a couple months. And then, you know, I got over it, moved Mm -hmm. on. And I really hadn't had that kind of fear come back in my life until I got my Mustang. I had one fall off of her the first time I rode her and the next, and I actually went down to Oklahoma and got help from one of my friends, uh, Sid Zacharias with her. And when I was down there, it was time for me to get on her again. This is now my second ride. And when I got up on her, you know, I could feel that fear coming through me. And I was, 
test telling myself, I'm like, what is going on? You know, this is, this is like intense. Mm -hmm. When I got up on her, I looked down at my hands and they were shaking. And I thought, this is, this is embarrassing. (laughs) You know, like, I can't believe I have this level of fear and Mm. that, that I actually can't control it. That was the scary part. And the part that is, you know, you think as a professional, you don't go through that stuff all the time, but you do sometimes. And I, when I entered this competition with her, I specifically like set out the intention to get a horse that would change my whole life and career. And what that meant, now I understand, was that I got sent a horse that taught me so much that now I implement with every horse that I work with. Hmm. And I truly think that because of her and because of what she pushed me to learn and how she basically gave me the stop sign a few times and said, no, you need to turn around and figure out how to do it differently. Come back and try again. Mm -hmm that now there's horses that I'm able to work with and keep myself and them safe that I never would have maybe been able to do had she not come along. Mm-hmm. And so that was a challenge for me. And, I, and so it was six weeks before the, the competition, the 2017 Kentucky Extreme Mustang Makeover, and I still hadn't gotten on my horse. And I'm seeing wow. all these videos and photos of all these other trainers up on their horses. They're already cantering. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, I'm not going to make it. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I finally started riding her and the bond and partnership just grew and grew and grew and grew. And I was also under the mentorship of my friend, uh, Sid Zacharias at the time as well. And so it grew so strong that by the time I went there, I had the best source I've ever had in my life. Like I was her biggest fan, her biggest cheerleader. She was literally felt like one, like we felt Mm. like And as the competition went on and as she got more tired, she tried harder for me and harder for me and harder for me. And I was just so amazed that here's a horse that crippled my confidence. And Mm -hmm. now here's a horse that I would do anything for. And so we had, I had to put her through, they have like a adoption auction at the end and I bought her back. Yeah. There was nobody stopping me keeping her at that point. (laughs) And, and today, like, I'm still like, I want to share that whole story and experience with the world because all it was, was a learning experience. All it was, was giving me skills that I could implement later on and, and learning how to work with the horse that is that, that introverted. So today I still consider her the best horse I've ever had. I love her more than anything, anybody that knows me behind the scenes and know how much I love that horse. I'm constantly going into her stall, wrapping my arms around her, hugging her. You know, I just think the world of her. And I think it was one of the best learning experiences I've ever had. Wow. Well, that gave me goosebumps. So I can't wait to read your book. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> so cool. What are some highlights that stick out in your head during that training process with her? Like when, you know, big light bulb moments for her? I think that some of the moments were, well, on the ground, giving her coping skills to to teach her what to do when she's stressed. So like I would be moving my whips and my tools and stuff and then going in and reassuring her and doing that like you know, at the walk and at the trot and a little at the canter, making sure that she can cope while things happen around her. That was a pivoting point. I actually remember now that I'm thinking of it, I remember one day I spent about six hours, six or seven hours with her, just like walking with her in the indoor arena and getting her used to different things like me jumping, me rubbing my hands on her. I was long lining her as well. Hmm. And I was so exhausted and tired because I'd been mentally so plugged in and focused with her. I mean, that's a long time to, to just 
give it everything you have. And she came into the arena that day, like still a little bit shut down, you know, and her, you could tell she was just holding things in. And by the end, I remember looking at her and she just like, let go, like her nostrils and her muzzle relaxed and her eyes softened. And I just remember, I actually took a picture on my cell phone of that moment because I thought, I think this is it. I think mm. we just made a, made a turnaround. And I remember I started, I had like tears rolling down my face because I, I knew that one of the, one of the barriers had melted and now it was my, now it was my turn to go in and, and work through the other layers. But that first barrier went down there. And I also felt for the first time that I was not like a predator or a threat to her that I could actually potentially be a friend to her as well, like a guide to her, a positive guide to her. And I, so that was a very pivotal moment, but also when I was riding her, learning how to actually guide her, like guide the dance for her, like offer her suggestions, offer her solutions and not ride in anticipation of an error. And so I had to grow extra confidence to give her confidence and I had to believe in myself. Like I had to believe that, yes, I can ask you to turn and go over here. Yes, I can practice this with you and you'll be fine. And I think that taking the mental standpoint of I'm here to help you, not I hope you don't do something wrong, that change turned me into somebody that actually was able to train her and get her going well enough to show up at that event and and do so well. So I had to make an internal change, a mindset change on like, I'm her, I'm here to help this horse to show you a better way. And, and I'm not riding for what I'm afraid of is going to happen. I'm riding for who I know you can become. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Wow. Sounds like such an incredible experience. Yeah, it was the best thing I've ever done, really. It was. So cool. Well, tell me a little bit about an area of the industry that you are passionate about that you feel like the rest of the equestrian community either doesn't know a lot about or just doesn't talk that much about. I think that just for myself, uh, because I'm so passionate about liberty work and and not, not everybody is, but I think that that is something that is a very valuable aspect of the industry. And the reason why is because even if somebody doesn't have the intention to work with the horse completely at liberty and have that communication with them, just the initial like introductory knowledge of the basics of how it works kind of forces you to tap into reading their subtle signs and and giving them guidance through your body language and your energy and, and your tools and things like that. But when you go for the goal of all tack, all ropes removed, you really have you know, the horses aren't going to lie to you at that point. They're either going to stay with you or they'll leave you. Mm-hmm. And so I think that the Liberty work area, there's something that all of us can learn from that area that we can take into what we do with our horses at home or whatever discipline we're doing. Just the concept of, of the realness and trueness of how that communication has to be. And the fact that we have to take in feedback from our horse and we have to instantly uh, adapt what we're doing because otherwise if we don't we could maybe cause the horse to turn around and leave us you know we have to be make, making very fast adjustments based on the body language we're reading from our horse you know so I think that that area of, of the industry is very important and just even for the simplest and base, most basic concepts of it that it can help anybody even if you're just riding your horse you can take that understanding and filter it into what you do. 
For someone who is listening and rides and hasn't really done anything dealing with liberty work with their horse, what do you do or what are some exercises or things that you can do to kind of get your feet wet before you take the plunge of taking off everything and, and kind of seeing what you have? Like, what is that process like? So the first thing that I would recommend is that you find a, a small space that you can work in, whether it's a round pen or a small paddock. And if you don't have that, that's okay. You can still keep the rope on. You could you could have like a like a lunge line on and just have it droop down. You don't need to have it taut or or anything like that. But the first thing that I would do is back to the focus is see if you can step to the side of your horse, like as if you were going to ask them to move their haunches over mm-hmm. and see if you can get your horse's head to turn and look at you. And in that moment, if you have that, then you can try and step back and ask your horse to come towards you just to follow you. And so the first part is focus and the second part is draw and draw is basically like when we have a dog and we want the dog to come to us, we step back and we call the dog to us. That's just a draw there. It's inviting the animal to come towards your direction. And so a lot of liberty work is based on cultivating that draw because we need the ability to call the horse back to us, but you can't call the horse to you if you don't have them focused on you or noticing where you are. So I always go step to the side of my horse and make sure that they can move their haunches over. And then I use that to get them to turn their head and look at me. And then I step back. I almost back away from them. And you might need to use like a longer whip to help just usher the horse forward. Mm -hmm. I step back away from them. And I imagine that there's like a rope attached to that horse's chest and there's a rope attached around my waist. And just like a tug of war, how you'd round your back and step your feet backwards and pull the rope towards you. I imagine doing that. And then I'll just reach my whip forward and just lightly kind of help, help them kind of come walk forward towards me. Then I'll release my whip down. I'll walk in and I'll pet them. You can also use some treats if you'd like to do that. But just that initial, like, let me see if I can get you to learn how to walk towards me as I back up. That's a very powerful thing to do. And that's where I start with all of them. You can even start it along a wall so that your horse is relatively straight, but cultivating focus first, let their ears look at, you know, ears be focused on you, their eyes look at you, their head swivel towards you, and then step back and see if you can call them to you. So cool. Love that. Well, thank you so much for taking the time and explaining this and explaining what you do. And it's just so exciting. And I love how it is really all encompassing and kind of at the core of having a relationship with your horse, both in the saddle and on the ground. So I thank you so much for taking the time and I wish you all the best. Thank you so much for having me. I hope you all enjoy uh, listening to some of these stories. All right, that is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much and I will talk to you next week.